The following is a North Carolina Baptist resource. For more, visit ncbaptist.org. Basically, the thesis of this breakout is what happens when people from the Andy Griffith, quote-unquote, generation and Stranger Things generation come together under one body to do ministry together. And so we have some panelists here today who um, is actually doing that Um their college ministry looks like the Andy Griffith generation and the Stranger um, Things generation combined together. And so what we want to do is basically, guys, we just want to have a dialogue, a conversation, um, some time for Q&A. Like, what does it actually look like to do ministry um, this way. So I would say the goal today is that you walk away from this breakout having some practical steps and some insights on how your church can um reach college students um, with the people that are in your church. Is that clear? Everybody good? All right, so let's start. Let's just go down. We'll start on the end. Just introduce your name. Say your name, um, your church, um, and where you're doing college ministry. I'm Mark Navy. Uh, Our church is Provision Church, and we are doing college ministry specifically at Wingate University, uh, right below Charlotte, about 45 minutes south of Charlotte. Um, My name is Savannah Wood, and I do college ministry at Perkinsville Baptist Church in Boone, North Carolina, and uh, we serve the Appalachian State College campus. Uh, We also have a presence at Lees McRae and are starting more at Caldwell Community College. And I'm Chase Jenkins, and I'm at First Baptist Church in Durham, and we do ministry on NC State, UNC Chapel Hill, and Duke University's campuses. Um, In my role, I also do a lot with international students, uh, specifically at Duke University at Chapel Hill. Great. Could you guys, starting with you, Chase, kind of give us a little context um, about your church, maybe how long it's been around? Is it a church plant, demographics, average age? Just kind of let us in on what it looks like. Yeah, sure. So our church is a little bit unique in that it predates the city of Durham. It's 174 years old this year, 175 next uh, next fall. And uh, our so our congregation is very old in that sense. But interestingly, as the dynamics have changed Population-wise, in the city of Durham, our church dynamics have changed uh, age-wise as well. So we've, even though we've had historically an older congregation, it has recently been trending more young, just as the types of people being brought to RDU um, are more of the 30s, 40s generation working in technology, um, finance, and things like that, medical medical uh, space. Uh, but we do still have a lot of um, older uh, older adults as well. And so our, our median age is about maybe 40s, 50s. Uh, if you count all the kids, maybe it's a little bit younger than that, um, but uh, that's sort of where we're at in the city of Durham. We're, our church is about 500, 550 folks on a Sunday morning, so kind of all over the spectrum there. Does that answer your question? Um, so Perkinsville is also an established church. I believe it was established maybe in 1947-ish, um, but it's. I think there's a couple families even at the church that have like three or four generations, so we have some some grandparents that are in their 80s and 90s, and some have just had like great, great grandkids. And so um, we have, I would say the average age though is probably 40s. We have a lot of young families. And I guess I would say maybe 150 probably on an average Sunday. And um, we have two services and probably about 300, 350 members or something like that. So our church is a year old. We started actually almost to the day. November 18th was our first Sunday meeting together, 2018. Uh, So our average age is in the 30s somewhere. Uh, We've been really blessed as a young church to have 
men and women who are much older uh, and to have college students, high schoolers. I think age diversity is something that not every church plant gets to enjoy in their first year together, but we have been able to. Um, yeah, uh, we have we have about 120, 130 is kind of our average Sunday morning attendance. And right now we have 65 members. That's good. You see, um, there's like established churches. There's a almost a year old uh, church plant. We have rural area as well as urban context. Could you talk about like the university context, the students that you're reaching, um, private, public, um, how big they are, some of those demographics as well, just to give the audience a little perspective on that. So um, uh, it's interesting. Uh, the one that the university that's closest to our church is Duke University. But Duke, for those of you who don't know, is incredibly hostile to the gospel. Um, it's difficult to have any presence. Every healthy church ministry that's been on that campus has been kicked off. Um, and it's because they're private. So we're not even allowed on campus. Uh, you have to be a student or a professor to even be allowed on there without them carting you off. And so Duke's been a little bit challenging for us. We used to have a lot of students come from Duke, but as things have just shifted there, um, uh, we've not had as many. Um, so with that, we focused a lot of our attention on NC State and on UNC's campuses, which are large public universities, uh, you know, thousands of students in the undergrad and graduate. Um, and uh, by God's grace, we've seen a lot of growth. And so we have not a small number of people making the 35, 40-minute drive over from state, you know, from, from, uh, from Raleigh, and then also uh, about 20-minute drive over from Chapel Hill. Uh, and uh, there's ways that we've tried to, you know, facilitate that through small groups and things like that, but that's sort of the situation at our church um, as it relates to that question. So. Um, for us, so Appalachian State is literally within a mile of our church doors. Um, we have some students that walk to church from whether it's their dorm or their apartment that's located really near the church. And um, Appalachian is a public university. We have about 19,000 um, students. Uh, thankfully, kind of, I might be jumping onto another question, but thankfully we have, um, I'm the assistant golf coach at Appalachian. We have a um, an assistant soccer coach. We have a baseball coach and um, we have people that work at Appalachian and the Lord has just in his providence has used it to just really keep a foot in the door, just a, just like a place of engagement that, that we wouldn't have if we didn't have um, people in the body that that's where they're employed. And so that has been a huge blessing, even when it comes to the multi-generational context of it. We're also um, are on Lee's McCray College campus. Um, it's probably about 30 minutes away from our church. Um, but even in that, we have um, a couple that live in Avery County. They have joined Perkinsville here recently. And so even though it's, it's a larger commute, um, we still have a presence there. And then at Codwell Community College, the campus, um, the main campus is in like the Hudson-Lenore area, but we have a satellite campus um, in the Watauga County area. And so that can make it um, a little bit more challenging because it's more of, it's not like the hub or kind of like home base for everyone. Um, but that's kind of like the demographics where we are. And Codwell's probably, I would say, five to 10 miles from our church doors, while Lee's McRae's maybe 25 from our church doors and at being the most, the most prominent. Wingate University is a private university. There's about 3,000 students that live on campus. It has a religious history. I mean, it was planted, some of y'all might even know that it was planted as a Baptist school. Um, and recently, I think they've been, 
they've made that a clear separation that that's no longer a Baptist university. Uh, and with that, there's, I think, some challenges and advantages that a lot of students come to Wingate University thinking they're coming on to a Christian campus. I, I've had several conversations with students who think they're coming there and that it's going to be good for their faith because they've come to Wingate. And, and kind of letting them know, <laughs> hey, this might not be the best. <laughs> you might not want to look to all of your professors for those answers. Um, and so uh, we, we have heard that historically it's been not very welcoming to churches, but we have only experienced welcoming from the campus. We did uh, a duck race at the beginning of the year uh, where they have a, like a pond in the middle of campus and we brought a huge cooker on and cooked hamburgers for them and we brought the fire department on and took, basically took over the center of campus. Uh, and that was just welcomed in. They didn't charge us anything. I mean, we felt welcomed on campus. And there's been some things like God's been working in some ways to, I think, allow for that. Um, even last year, some different kind of controversies that happened that made them feel like they should be welcoming churches onto campus a little more. And just in God's providence, our timing to be a church that was interested in ministering to college students and for that to happen uh, we definitely give God glory for for some of the openness to our presence on campus. Um, it's it's generally a wealthier school. Um, I met a kid early on in the year, and uh, he made it clear that he came from poverty, and he was like, "It feels so weird being here with all these rich kids." <laughs> and so uh, there is it does tend to be uh, a, a little more wealth in our with our students. And there's a pretty good mix of local students and out-of-state students. Uh, most of the students who are attending our church right now are coming to our life groups. They're from out-of-state. Out of um, most, the, the heavy majority, are from out-of-state. And I think a lot of that is that the kids who are coming from our area are already plugged into their home churches. And so our outreach is doing better with students who are looking for a church home. Uh, but but right now we meet at a elementary school uh, that's just about 15 minutes away from campus. Uh, we've been given some land that's a little closer, which we're excited for that development. But even right now, 15 minutes is where we're at um, away from campus. Yeah, that's good. Um, I'm thinking as I listen to each one of them explain, explain their different contexts, how it's probably a good representation of you all. You have large schools, small schools, public schools, private schools. You have rural churches, urban churches. Um, and so it's just really cool to see like how they vary. But um, again, they're all faithfully doing ministry um, in what we call this multi-gen context. And so how many of you are familiar with the phrase multi-generational ministry? Um, and so it's this idea, pretty much our title, it's this idea of um, a different generations existing um, together um, in, in one body doing ministry and life together. And so oftentimes what we see in collegiate ministry is something called the silo approach. And so basically what that is, is college ministry is run alongside of the local church. So it's, hey, you go reach the college students. Praise God. We support you. And you have a, a staff person or a pastor or a leader um, kind of leading that ministry. But everything is really done on the outside of um, the, with the local church. But what these guys have managed to do is they figured out how to bring college students into the whole of the church. Um, and so college students are not on the outside. They're all doing ministry together. And so I want them to talk a little bit about that. We've seen um, as a collegiate team just how healthy it is when um, you have the Andy Griffith generation discipling the Stranger Things, um, you know, generation. And so there, there's a lot of beauty in that. And so 
Um, let's just start on the end with you, Mark. Talk a little bit about, um, I guess, let's start with the benefit of a multi-generational college approach. I think a big benefit of multi-generational college, just as much as multi-generational anything in the church, is that you're teaching whatever generation you're working with that the church is not just a stage of life, but that it's God's gift to you in your life. And so that as a 70-year-old, that I'm just as committed to the work of Christ through his local church as I might be at 19 or 17 or 15 when I'm going to summer camps and passion conferences, but that if multi-generational, uh, if we're taking this multi-generational approach and we have you know, everybody from different decades investing into these students, then we start creating clear pictures of what maybe a gospel home looks like, especially with college students. I mean, these are students that are building perceptions of what their home should look like someday. I mean, most of these kids we're ministering to are going to have uh, spouses and kids, and not all of them have come from from homes that have emphasized Christ. And so, uh, we do we do life groups, and so we we want to invite these kids into our life groups. And um, on on Sundays, we we ask and encourage our congregation to take these students uh, to lunch and spend time with them, invite them into their homes, and so it really gives these students an image of what the future should look like for them in following Christ. Like, What does it look like to raise my kids uh, in Christ? What does it look like to love my wife in Christ? Uh, so I, I think that future image, to me, if, if I'm giving you the best benefit, I think that development of a lifelong commitment to Christ in this church is is maybe the greatest benefit of that. Follow up, oh, sorry, sorry, <laughs> follow up question. Um, because you're a church plant, um, almost a year old, um, how did you, I guess, how did you kind of bring the congregation along? So for some people out here, they're probably not a church plant. They're probably older. How did you bring your congregation along to this multi-gen approach? And kind of what did that process look like? Well, so I'm the lead pastor at, at our church. And so it helps that every Sunday I get to uh, drip this a little bit from the pulpit that we talk about investing in others and, and raising up next generation. And so we we believe in multi-generational investment across the board. So we're, we're encouraging uh, parents to be investing in their kids in the home, that, that type of thing. And so it's just natural progression for us to be talking through this, even with college students. Uh, we do get the benefit in some ways with being a new church, a church plant to build culture from day one. Uh, and in some ways that, that is true, in some ways it's not, but but in building that culture, that sacrificial, it's not about me culture has been there from the beginning. And so where I think a lot of churches that I've seen and come into contact with get hung up is that it's hard for us to focus on an age group here or love this age group well, because well, what about my needs here? Um, and that's that's just from day one, this has been some of our focus. Um, so as a plant, bringing that from the pulpit, talking about an emphasis on reaching these students asking questions I mean, in our life groups. One of the questions that we consistently ask is, have you shared the gospel this week and do you commit to do it next week? And so in those, a lot of our gospel conversations that I'm getting to bring up is that I'm, I'm having gospel conversations with college kids every week. And then in people's jobs, we talk about, you know, in my job, people aren't necessarily open to hearing the gospel. Uh, it's a lot harder to have those conversations. And so to, to hear, oh, there might be uh, a fertile field there for us to have these conversations on is encouraging. It, it is motivating for the whole church to, 
to place an emphasis and imagine God doing work on college campuses from every age group. Um, yeah, just to echo what he said, like it definitely drips down from leadership. I know um, our our senior pastor, he's always talking about and sharing stories with what God's doing on college on college campuses, like so and so shared with their roommate or their teammate, and then um, like on Sunday mornings, whenever we have baptism Sundays, um, if a girl or a guy leads their their teammate or their friend to Christ, they're baptizing them in Sunday mornings. And so I've seen one of the benefits in that, that it has just like, oh, I don't know, like set a fire in some older generations um, to see uh, young people doing the work of God in their context. And then it spurred them on to continue to, maybe if they haven't shared the gospel in a while or whatever it may look like, to continue to share the gospel in their context. And then um, even a couple, I think it was actually a year ago, um, there was a lady that um, is a special ed teacher at a local elementary school. Um, and there was an atheist in our church who um, was a wife of another member. And um, she didn't know her from, I mean, they've just kind of seen each other at church, but just through watching a lot of, um, the younger people like sharing their faith and being excited about what God's doing. It just set a fire. And, and this other girl, she shared the gospel with um, this atheist, and uh, now that girl then baptized someone else too. So I've seen one of the greatest benefits is um, is has seen a younger generation set a fire in the older generation too. But then how like. In 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, where it says, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Then from a leadership perspective in the college ministry, being like, who are you looking to? Like, there's someone there's someone in front of you. There's someone that you should run hard um, after and imitate them as they imitate Christ. And then who are you bringing along also with you? And so thankfully, we've had just older generations open up their homes, open up their ovens, um, and just... <laughs> yeah, emphasis Amen on the oven. <laughs> yeah, but they open up their homes and they open up their ovens. And um, like you said, I know Appalachian is like 5% Christian, so 95% non-Christian. And a lot of these people come from broken homes, broken families. And maybe the 5% that are Christian, they've they've lacked discipleship in their life. And, and they don't know how the gospel changes and impacts the everyday stuff of life. Like, yes, the gospel saves me, but then what? But then then to see that lived out in a home, to see it lived out um, in maybe a single man or woman. Like, how how does the gospel impact singleness? Um, so definitely see, like, a, a mutual edification here of spurring on and of, um, like, this is how you follow Jesus when you've been following Jesus for 75 years. And that's powerful. That's good. I love the imagery of Second Timothy 2 that you kind of put out there. That's good. Chase, what about you guys? Biggest benefit? Yeah, I know. Um, so I'll speak probably throughout a little bit from my international ministry perspective as well, just because that's a lot of what I do. But um, even as our church as a whole, I think one of the values, like you guys were just talking about, is just seeing good discipleship on display. And so, like you had just mentioned a couple moments ago, the entrusting uh, of the gospel to the next generation But then also, too, you think about it from a gifting perspective, how Christ has gifted every believer with a certain set of spiritual gifts. And those spiritual gifts are given for the edification and for the maturing of the body of Christ, as it says in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. 
So you think about it, if the if there are senior adults in your church and then you have college students, if they're believers in Christ, they have all been uniquely given gifts from the Holy Spirit for the edification and for the building up of the body and for the advance of the gospel. And so it's actually to all of their detriment spiritually if they're not cooperating together for the work of the ministry, not just from the discipling of learning experience, but also for the advance of the gospel to the nations, to the end of the earth. So our church would be weaker were it not for the senior adults in our church using their gifts, their God-given gifts that the Holy Spirit has entrusted to them to wisely steward. And they would similarly be detrimented were they not to benefit from our college students who've been given gifts from the ministry. But then also as well, you know, those gifts need sharpening. So I think about in 2 Timothy as well, uh, in 2 Timothy 2, a little later on in verse 22, it says, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with who call uh, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And I think about that youthful passions, how guys my age and younger, like we have a lot of youthful passion, but we need it to be tempered. We need it to be metered by experience. And that's something that I can't just get. I need to learn from people older than me. I need to see how they've taken the wisdom that Christ has entrusted and have applied it to various circumstances. And I've seen that as well, even when I've dealt with counseling situations that are way outside my pay grade. I, I say like, you know, someone comes up and says, I'm having this really difficult, you know, um, you know, maybe an international couple, you know, maybe they're married, they're internationals, and they say, we have a marriage problem. You know, maybe they're a young couple that's married. And my wife and I, we've been married, but for only seven years, you know, I, I need to go to someone in the church who's been married for 30 years, who's worked through that. That's a gifting that the Holy Spirit's given. And so I think we see a well-rounded, the well-rounded nature of discipleship is more fully on display when you're not siloing, when you're tearing down those walls. Um, and that unity of Christ in the church is more fully on display as well. So you think about Ephesians 2, where Christ in himself has uh, torn down the dividing wall of hostility and has created in himself one new man. Uh, I know that's talking primarily about some ethnic divides, but I think it applies to this siloing as well. When you, when you intentionally divide people, well, then you're actually missing out on an opportunity to display Christ's unity to a watching world as well. It's a strange thing. Talk about stranger things. It's a strange thing for young people and older people to be working together in something. And so I think it's a powerful witness to the watching world from an evangelistic standpoint. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. I think that's good. Go ahead, Mark. One practical addition that even for us was coming up last night is we've talking about how do you start this? How do you do this? we've budgeted for it. <laughs> it's something that we prioritize it even with our finances. And so uh, if you look at kind of our missions line, our outreach, one of the biggest expenditures for our church is Winget University. And then even yesterday, we decided to put money towards uh, lunches for students so families can take students out to lunch, that type of thing. And so um, I, think, I think even as a church, just having that conversation of how are we spending our money is this a priority for us, and does our budget reflect this as a priority? It's um, practical. Man, that's good. Can you take me out to lunch, too? Come on, man. I mean, if y'all making Come budgets down. for lunch, I'll, like, I'll I mean. Card. Come down, <laughs> yeah, I'll take out the lunch. <laughs> no, um, that's good. So I think, um, man, that's, just, that's it's powerful to hear them talk about, like, the benefits. And I think um, just even the biblical image that we get of just the body of Christ, one body, multi-gen, multi-faceted, um, using their gifts to encourage, empower, and equip. Um, and so I, I think that even kind of addresses the why a multi-gen approach um, 
Chase, for you guys, your church has existed a long time. How did you guys move your church in this direction? So let's say a church is here and their college ministry currently looks, college students get together for a Bible study and it's all college and they have a leader, but now they're thinking, how do we move towards a multi-gen approach? How did you guys as an existing church kind of shift the congregation to think that way? Yeah, so by God's grace, as long as I've been there, our church has kind of had this model. So I haven't had the chance to like see it completely change, uh, but I can still speak to, I think, some things that went into that. Um, one of the phrases I was talking to this brother here before we got started, I often say structures are instructive. Structures are instructive. So you can stand in front of the pulpit and say whatever you want, but if practically the structures of the ministry in your church speak something different, it actually, it, it, you're now they're diametrically opposed. So for example, if you stand up one Sunday, you even get the pastor to preach a whole sermon on the value of multi-generational ministry, but you still have Wednesday night activities where, you know, you, 60 and plus are in this room and 30-year-olds are over here, then you're, you're shooting yourself in the foot from, from that standpoint. Now, that's not to say that you don't want to do things for those groups, though. So that's what we've been working through even with our young adults ministry. We have found that as young adults come to our church, both from the college ministry and, you know, maybe professionals just out of school, they still want that place where they can have community among themselves, but the other structures in our church, so we provide that, but the other structures of our church, we have morphed where we're intentionally throwing people together in a room. So for example, we've adopted a, um, a Sunday school model, we call them Bible for, Li- uh, Bible for Life, um, that are subject and topic-based, not age-based. And so whenever you show up on a Sunday morning, we have a book of the Bible course. We have a, right now we're doing a politics and religion course. And then we, we have all sorts of different topics that are taught and they're not age segregated. So in that room, you have senior adults all the way to college students, all in the same room, learning the same material. And then they're discussing it, you know, between service and they're having that um, uh, facilitated. Uh, Our home fellowship model, so our small group model, this is just our church, um, we call them home fellowships. And they're all multi-generational small groups that meet in people's homes. So we try as much as we can to get the college students to go to, uh, you know, someone's home who's maybe a little bit older. And we intentionally try to build that community. But then outside of those where we're trying to, for lack of better words, structure those sorts of interactions. We then also provide unique get-togethers for those people to relate. And so you have to do both, and they're not mutually exclusive. But structures are instructive. Make sure you're analyzing your structures and that they're matching your message, that you want them in the same room. Um, really briefly, I'll add this because I know I can talk forever, but uh, I also think giving everybody a vision to latch onto that's greater than the people in your age group uh, can be helpful. So for example, with our international ministry, we've been blessed to have 132 volunteers in our church who serve with internationals. And uh, our youngest volunteer is 14 years old, and our oldest is in, in his 80s. And, uh, and everybody has a unique role to play. And we're all in the same room, and we're all conversing, and we're all on mission together. And we have a friendship that has been bonded and forged in the fires of ministry. And those are stronger bonds than even bonds you would get just going out to lunch with each other. You know, I'm sharing the gospel alongside my older brother, Tom, who's in his 80s, and he's throwing in pearls of wisdom, and I'm just watching him, and then I'm over here working too, and we're, we're both, you know, soldiers, as it says, and we're alongside. We're, we're in the mission together, so we've locked arms in that, and that's a beautiful thing. So when you give people a mission, and then you purposefully structure them to be in the same room on mission together, 
naturally friendships are going to form out of that that honestly go deeper than just age-segregated ministries would probably go. And so give them a mission to latch on to. If you're doing an outreach, throw a bunch of seniors and a bunch of college students all doing the outreach together. There's no reason why they can't serve together. There's no reason why senior adults can't lend their unique gifts and the college students can't lend their unique gifts to go hand out invitations to a, to a lost community or to go serve food to international students or to host some sort of dinner. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. Savannah, different question for you. Um, what would you say has been the biggest challenge for um, the church? Maybe that challenge could have been for the students just adapting to a multi-gen model, or maybe it could have been for um, non-students adapting to the multi-gen uh, model. Are there any challenges that you think you guys experienced during that? Definitely. Um, I would say one of the biggest challenges when it comes to, we have, for instance, a little bit of our college format kind of looks like this, is um, every Wednesday night we do some sort of Bible study. So usually three Wednesday nights out of the month we do a guys Bible study. They're going through John right now. And we have a girls Bible study um, and we're going through the book of James. And then one Wednesday out of the month, we have a large group um, together. And so we used to do this large group type setting on campus. And um, kids could get there um, quickly. It was easy. It was accessible. Well, when we had this large group meeting on campus, we, we were like, we want we want students to be funneled to the local church. And even though at the large group, every time we're in like Appalachian's big athletics facility on the fifth floor is awesome space. um, We were always trying to funnel them to the local church, but we just, we felt like it wasn't doing that great of a job. So what we did is this year we switched it and we have our large group in our fellowship hall now. Um, so, so that students understand more that, that this, this is the local body of Christ that, Yes, I know you've only been friends with people that are like plus two and minus two of your age all of your life, um, but the body of Christ, the kingdom of God is much bigger, and one day we're going to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords all together, every tribe, every nation, every tongue, old, young, in between, everyone. And so um, it when we had this large group on campus, it it kind of made it look like like this is this is just Christians, and, and we don't really understand what Christians are like older, Christians are like younger. And so a challenge is that we had people drop off whenever we switched from campus um, to the church. And so that was definitely a big challenge. And then so once we, we get to the church, and we're, that's where we have our large group study there, it's hard to, um, it's hard to get students to understand um, the necessity of the local church. And so, but the way that we did that was um, if you come to Perkinsville Church on a Wednesday night, you will see college students all over the place um, serving in Awana, serving in our upper room prayer ministry. um, And then a lot of them are on the worship team um, practicing for worship. And so there is a challenge in that trying to like getting the typical maybe collegiate style model, what, which is what kids like and, and is good when you're around people your own age and things. But then switching, I mean, like, you know, we're going to pull this back into kind of more of the home of the local church. It was a challenge because people just didn't like it. But um, then people start coming back too. But I'm not going to say like, oh, they'll, they'll leave and they're going to come back. We don't know. But um, it was a challenge for especially last semester, this time last year, um, we, we saw a decline 
whenever we kind of change this. Um, but God's been good and gracious that um, we've seen actually growth now. And people love serving alongside Anna McGuire, who knits quilts and is teaching them how to sew. So like, it's neat. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, what about you? I know it's early on. Any challenges, any pushback um, that you've experienced or members experienced so far? From our college students, there's been some pushback. Right? Okay. I think it's easier to be with people who are like you. And so uh, we have a life group on campus. And that's so we, we think that maybe life groups can be a starting point for people or that a worship service can be a starting point for people. And so right now we have students who are coming to that life group that we meet on Thursday nights. And they've never been to a worship service. And so... It, it, there's there's some pushback there, and even this past Sunday we had some girls. They've been coming to our church now for a few weeks. One of our next steps that we like to push people to: okay, you've been coming for a little while. Next step, we thought about a life group. What life group can we plug you into? And so we were trying to push them towards some of our multi generational life groups. Hey, and I mean you could just see in their face like the almost terror of that. Like you may have to go to someone's home. I mean, that, there's a pushback on that, and and so that takes buy in from your congregation. And what's way better than me being like, hey, there's a group of people that are older than you that you could go into their house this week randomly would be if a family from that life group, which will be the next step for these girls, a family from that life group goes to them and says, we'd love for you to come to our house this week. Like, here's what, here, meet our girls, like, come to our house with us this week. Um, and so there's an initial pushback, but I can tell you, and you guys, y'all know, if you're working with college students, y'all know this, college students want people older than them to be their fans they want to be known. They want to have attention. And that's not negative. That's not, I'm, I'm not making any negative statement. I'm positively, we all, we all want that. And so even though there's that initial pushback against it, they, they want it. And I think if, if they can experience in a way, experience it in a way where they're treated as equals and they're treated as loved, that, that pushback ends a little bit. Uh, but I, we haven't had, I've had very little pushback from our congregation on any type of multi-generational approach to college students. I think there's excitement over that. Uh, and so it's it's really with your college students getting them acquainted to the idea uh, in some ways. Yeah, that's good. Um, I know they've said a lot and a lot of information has been disseminated. So I just want to take about 10 minutes before we wrap up. Any questions from you all that you would like to ask them? I heard... Um that there was uh, a resistance on the part of the college campus. Um, so what do you do with these, these college campuses? Do you just wait them off or do you create new strategies of um, how to engage in the, the administration at the, at the college campuses? Um, you know, I, I kind of heard in your voice, well, you know, they're, they're resistant to us, so we're going to be resistant to them. No. Uh, is that true? Or do you, no. you create new strategies? <laughs> do you create new strategies of getting over that in a way that uh, the Lord will lead you there as opposed to leaning on your own understanding? 
Yeah, definitely. So I, I take back any tone you hear of uh, when I hear challenge, I hear challenge accepted um, because I do believe the Holy Spirit has been so gracious to open up doors. We were praying. This is just a side tangent. But it's related to that. We were praying for months as a team how to engage the Muslim community in our in our society, in our you know city. And through a series of events that I can only say was orchestrated divinely by God, we were invited to teach English as Christians, known Christians, evangelicals, in a local mosque in the city of Durham. And we were invited back every week to do it. Um, and then we got to share the gospel with people. And so, no, uh, it's more, more of that is just it's an unfortunate thing that what's happened at Duke, because they used to be more open. Um, just as policies have shifted, they've caused uh, a lot of uh, strife with organizations trying to do ministry because they're making them sign doctrinal things that you just can't sign on to, all sorts of things. And so our strategy has been to uh, just prayerfully consider, Lord, what are some other avenues? And so when we looked at our church body, we have a lot of people in our church who work for Duke University. Um, one of the best pulmonologists in the world is uh, employed at Duke. Um, the head of ear, nose, throat oncology is at Duke, is in our church. Um, they have Bible study every Thursday um, uh, on Duke's campus in their hospital that they rent, and no one can tell them no because they run the place. So uh, it's so there's other ways. And so what we do is we try to go into those avenues and then see if we can bring students to those places. Uh, what's been difficult is the undergraduate population. Since so much of them are on campus, so many of them are on campus, and most of our professionals are obviously off campus or working in the hospital, we're still prayerfully considering how can we engage that. We actually just had a conversation this past week about that. How do we engage Duke University specifically? And so, yeah, definitely not writing them off at all, but we just have to be creative with the strategies. And a lot of that, here's the thing, here's a multi-generational benefit. If we were relying on the college students, we would have to write it off. We're relying on the multi-generational aspect of our church, the fact that we have senior adults who are professors at Duke University who now can open up doors that we would have never had had we just been doing a, a traditional model. And so that's an example of how multi-generational can be helpful even engaging the campus. The Lord always opens the door. I always tell our team whenever we run into a roadblock, you don't, can't take option A, can't take option C. The Holy Spirit's going to open an option C. And so you just have to be looking for it. I'm thinking of so many things to follow up behind that. Um, Chase basically could have ran this whole panel by himself. He just sold multi-generational ministry. Um, any other questions that you guys, I know, um, yes, sir. Yeah. Well, I guess my first question, do you want me to take you to lunch? I mean, <laughs> you can take me to lunch. I will love that. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, if you don't have a clue, okay, uh, 137-year-old church, you run 50, 60 people on Sunday morning, almost all of them senior citizens. What, what, what prayer, obviously, is a place to start, but do you have any practical tips that might help? We, we actually, the, the previous church I was in, we actually donated some people to you guys at Perkinsville, Austin and uh, Olivia. They're, I was their pastor at one time, and, and, and so, you know, I, I, I managed to run them off up to you guys. So, and now I'm at a different church now, but, but I mean, I, that's, that's the, the thing that's hard for us, because we have two generations. We have the people that are 70 plus and the ones that are between 50 and 70, and that's who we got. I mean, there just is nobody else that really comes, and so do you have any practical tips for someone like us that are would seem hopeless just from a worldly point of view, uh, what 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 could we do? That's 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 a good question. Real quick, that's a great question. Any um, people can identify with that. Anyone else can say, "Man, our church is just uh, older. There's no in between." Okay, great. So that's 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 good. Can you 
address that? I will try my best. Um, But I know what we have done is we have gotten whomever that we that we do have we will go to a campus and prayer walk it Mm. um and obviously i mean just to obviously prayer is powerful and it's effective and um but just to think that as we are walking on the ground in which our mission field um is going to class they're living they're um hanging out with friends they're eating um but just Prayer walking the campus, prayer walking the mission field in which you want to engage. Um, we took, actually yesterday, I took a friend of mine and an older older woman. We went to Lee's McRae and we um, ate lunch with a, a girl that we knew. Um, but then we just spent our time and prayer walked around the building that we meet, prayer walked um, the dorms, prayer walked the cafeteria. Um, and in that in the, that prayer walking time, um, casually had two conversations. Um, they didn't quite lead to gospel conversations, but, but they saw faces and saw like a presence. And so, um, I think people want to see your face. And if, if you could get, um, maybe a couple of people in your congregation that, that would be interested just to go to whichever campus is close to you and, and maybe spend 30 minutes, spend an hour and just seek the Lord that God, He's upholding the universe and listening to us at the same time. And, um, and it's his will to bring people like to himself. And so just, I would, that's how a practical step that I would encourage. Take 30 minutes out of your day, maybe one or two individuals of your church and just soak the area in prayer. Yes. And you'll be surprised. I mean, obviously, I'm pretty outgoing. I will talk to a brick. But, um, and I also, I'm fresh out of college, so definitely look like a college student. And so it, it's, it can be easier for me to engage. But um, one of the ladies um, that I've been with before, she does not look like a college student. And so um, even in that, like people, they're, they're away from home. They're away from, uh, I guess, like the homey atmosphere. And to see someone um, older, wiser, more mature, just to take time to look at them in their eyes and say, like, hey, how are you doing? Like, you're studying for a test? You know, I know finals are coming up. You know, um, anything like that, I think the Lord just works amazing in it, in some organic conversations just through some prayer walking. Particularly for you two guys more so than the new church, but uh, have you thought about getting a group of your people and adopting a church like ours and coming? I mean, honestly, I can't even get anybody to step aside of me here. This, I mean, you know, we've got people to stand up in the back or sit in the floor. Jonathan, slide close to Mr. Arnold. <laughs> So, but if, it's if not six you. or eight people were to come and say, "Hey, you know, we'll we'll spend a weekend with you," you know, or you know, we'll come down on a Friday mm-hmm. and a Saturday. We want to get back and worship at our church on Sunday, of course. But you know, we, 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 you know, have you ever considered anything like that? I, I wouldn't rule us out because I wish there was a church in our area that would come to us and be like, "Hey, we've got some resources." Like we, we're in an elementary school. We, we, there's nothing we can do in the week without paying for space or if a church that was older and there's a lot of older churches near Wingett University that are not doing anything for Wingett University if one of those churches would come to us and be like we recognize your mission we recognize your your focus please use our resources and let us come alongside of you for that we'd be like heck yeah let's do it like come on let's be let's be it let's be in it together because I was talking to the FCA guy last week and saying we're not gonna do this alone for this campus. There's got to be other churches that are here. 
uh, a part of this. And so like our heart is very much not to be the church for Wingate. I, I think we are a church for Wingate, but we hope that there are other churches coming alongside for Wingate too. So anyway, I'll pass it back over to you guys, but don't rule us out because I think young churches want those partnerships as well. The only thing I would add just briefly is I think First Corinthians 9, when Paul talks about contextualization, he focuses a lot on becoming all things to all people. And a lot of that is you're removing barriers, right? So you're not changing the message of the gospel. You're eliminating barriers to the gospel. Um, as we think about that as it relates to life in our church, sometimes that means that we have to make changes that we otherwise would not want to change. Our church, a couple of years back, we changed the music style. Um, I used to play in the orchestra. I played clarinet. I loved it. Um, but... The, you know, the elders were praying about it, and they were looking at worship just as a simple example of this, of this truth. Um, there are timeless things, and there are temporary things. The timeless elements of worship don't change. The temporary manifestations do. And our pastor was saying that if you don't change those temporary things, you're going to miss out on the next generation because one way or the other, they're going to go to a church that finds that. And so, and I'm not, you know, I, there's all sorts of reasons why churches could be in different situations, so I don't pretend to know every situation, but I think it's good for all of us to humbly and soberly look at our own situation and say, maybe what changes do we need to make to be more welcoming, appealing to individuals who are perhaps not like us, whether it's age, culture, et cetera. I don't want to miss the idea. I thought that you mentioned it, it's a great idea, the opportunity for other churches to partner with you all. Like I just even think in terms of, of, of training, um, what does it look like for a church who's more established and, and reaching college students to kind of come alongside of you for a few days and, and help you guys understand prayer walking and, and stuff. And so um, I would say see that guy in the back, Jonathan Yarborough. Um, he'll, he'll, help, he'll help navigate some stuff. He loves Lumberton. Is that where you're from, Lumberton? Yeah. So. All right, guys, we, um, we have time for one last question. Um, we have a, there's a community college that's like less than a quarter mile from our church, and there's, I don't think there's any kind of presence, gospel presence. College. It's Haywood Community College. It's very small. Um, I'm from Lake Genelaska First Baptist Church, um, and we've been talking about trying to start a college ministry there. Um, one of the things that I had thought about, and it might go along with what he was talking about, is have you been able to meet like a physical need? Have you been able to go to like the leadership of the college and, and ask, just ask, is there anything that some students need? You know, do some students need money for food or money for clothes or anything like that? Have you been able to meet a physical need? And that's something that your church would probably be able to do if you're in a well-established church. They'd be able to meet a physical need even if you don't necessarily have like a rock and worship service for them on campus. You might be able to meet a physical need and that'll, that would show Christ and show the example of Christ from your church. But have you had been able to meet any kind of like what do college students need? What could a church provide for college? I mean, just simply for us, I'll let y'all talk. I mean, we we have so many members that will open up their home and open up their oven, like I said. And, um, like, no, they're not starving. But, um, you know, <laughs> money is is an issue if they don't have, like, a meal plan and all, all these different things. Um, so I would say feeding them and it's amazing to see how feeding them uh, and then being able to feed them God's word that they realize that they were hungry for that meatloaf um, that that sweet lady made, but then they realize, oh, my soul was craving so much more the word of God. Um, so I would say for us, it has been opening up our homes and opening up our ovens um, 
and supplying that to them. What about like, since our church is so close to campus, and you said your church is close to campus, like, has your church hosted like a meal or anything, advertised on campus? We've done, um, like, the first Sunday where students will come back. Do you have, how many, do you have any college students at your church right now? Very few. Very few? Um, I'm in in college. Okay. Um, And other than that, like, we have a a few couples that are late 20s. And we have a lot of kids, and we have quite a few youth, but college age is just like almost zero. Hmm. So that's kind of, that was our goal. Was to... one, one thing I would encourage, too, is not to think so much, and maybe you're not thinking this, but not think so much big event as much as like consistent relational. Um, and so like we, we, I don't, this kind of may go against that, but we spent like $3,000 on 600 shirts. That might not seem like a lot, but for our church budget, it was a lot. Um, and we had 600 shirts on campus. And so now every time I'm on campus, I'm seeing our shirts. And I'm like, nice shirt. Like, have you, you know about that church? Like, you know, it gives us a way in. And so now I get to be consistent and relational and it's multi, it's multi with different people. And then, I mean, just being super awkward with people and being like, Hey, I'm free for lunch on Thursday. Like, I know you don't know me, but you want to grab lunch. And, and, and especially at the beginning, the beginning That's of the year, creepy, Mark. I'm it is creepy. Kidding. No, I'm it's creepy. Kidding. I know it's creepy. It really is. I, I get it. But at the beginning of the year, like I met, I met several people and we had, breakfasts and lunch togethers and i mean several of them were like i don't how who, who are you making friends with right now especially freshmen i mean talk about physical needs they, need, they have relational needs he, he didn't know anybody even his roommates he didn't hang out with and so to have a guy who was taking him for a meal asking questions about being interested in him i think that's a way bigger payoff than um cleaning bathrooms you know once a week it might be a way in but i'd rather have a way in with individuals than with the organization that's but that's just where we're at academic tutoring could be another one or you know think about things that everybody needs right um so that was an in for even my wife she served in she did tutoring when she was at providence baptist at uh, nc state and got to know people that way uh but also um one thing that we're trying to do at duke or looking at as well as uh professional mentoring so these, you have people who are studying to do something, right? And it may be that you have people in your church who already have that skill set. So you can invite them in, and now they're doing life together. So like, say you have someone studying to, do, uh, to be a math teacher, and you have a math teacher in your church. Invite them to the class, hang out afterwards. You know, doing some of that professional development could be an option. Great. Uh, Mark, Savannah, Chase, thank you for your time. Guys, thank you so much for your time.